So turn to Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10 in a couple of weeks, the first Saturday night, September the 7th of uh, September, we'll be launching our Saturday night services. So it's just another option here to come to church uh, on Saturday night. It'll be the same thing. We'll have a different worship team on Saturday night, but uh, the same preacher Saturday night, Sunday morning, and same message. So uh, uh, so it's just another option for worship, and we're getting a lot of buzz. A lot of people are wanting to uh, know more about the Saturday night service. It'll begin at 5.30, 5.30 on Saturday night. So we're going to have a good time. So uh, if you're looking, if, you need to, if you've got something planned on a Sunday and, and you thought, well, I can't go to church because i got some, we've got, we're have a, we have a Saturday night option for you, and that'll be during the month of September. We're going to see how that rolls. And uh, just trying to follow the Lord a little bit, and we're going to see how that goes. And if it goes well, we'll we'll continue that. If not, we've given it a try. So, so keep that in mind for the Saturday nights in September. If you have your Bibles, turn to the tenth chapter of Acts, Acts chapter ten. How many brought your Bibles? How many brought some kind of ta- tablet or phone or something with your Bible? Listen, you wouldn't dare go to Toots. And have them deliver your food and you not have a fork or something to eat with, would you? Come to the house of God. We're eating the Word of God. So bring a Bible, bring a tablet, bring a phone with an app of the Bible on there. And uh, let's use our tools to study God's Word. Acts chapter 10, verse number 1. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It reads this way. In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? he asked the angels. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lived near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, verse 7, As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants, He told them what had happened and sent them to Joppa. Thank God for his word. Over the last few weeks, my heart has been stirred to talk to men. So we're we're continuing this study. In fact, our series is entitled, Finding a Godly Man in an Ungodly World. Finding a Godly Man in an Ungodly World. And to you ladies, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for being attentive, even though the messages haven't been about you. Maybe you've got some ammunition for you to use on your man. Or maybe those of you who don't want a man have got some confirmation on why you sent him packing to begin with. Regardless of what the situation is, I just want to say thank you, ladies, for being so attentive and and uh, patient, even though the subject has not been about your gender, 
Okay? Thank you so much. I hope, I hope you've gotten something out of it. And when we consider the examples of a godly man, finding a godly man in an ungodly world, one of the people you normally don't hear about, or you probably never heard about, is a godly man is Cornelius. You know, I mean, Cornelius is not the man you normally hear about as an example of a godly man. We hear about Abraham, we hear about Moses, we hear about Noah, we hear about Paul or Peter and John, we hear about Samuel, we hear about all these wonderful Daniel, all these wonderful Bible characters, but chances are you haven't heard Cornelius as an example of a godly man. Why? Because Cornelius only appears in one chapter in the Bible, Acts 10. He didn't write any of the Bible. Cornelius was not an Israeli. He was an Roman uh, from Italy. He was from Italy. Cornelius was not Jewish. He was a Gentile. Cornelius had no history with the faith of Jehovah God, the Jews' God. Being a Gentile, he was polytheistic. He worshipped many gods. In fact, the reason I share those facts with you to point out who he was is because I hear excuses from men all the time. I hear things like this, I'm not a spiritual type guy. Preacher, I'm not a spiritual type guy. Or I'm not into church stuff. Or I can't understand the Bible. And, or things like that. Or, I, I'm too busy trying to make a living and provide for my family to get involved with church. And we know that's true at times. God and church are not for men raised like I was. Rough and rugged. You know, I wasn't raised in church. I was raised on the farm. I was raised in the hood. We didn't do church. I was raised rough. Church is not mine. That's for women and children. I'm too old. I've had men tell me this. I'm too old and have too much water under the bridge now for God to accept me. All kind of excuses on why men are not godly men and why they are not pursuing God. And I want you to understand Cornelius was in the same shape of you. And same as me. Cornelius was that type of man. But Cornelius had something very unusual about him. He had a, he had a desire for God. See, Cornelius is a captain in the most powerful military known to man at that time. The Roman army. He's the captain. Cornelius was a man with multiple children. So he had the responsibility of providing for a family. Cornelius was a leader of men and had men watching his every actions and attitudes every day. He was just like most of us men. He was a man with responsibilities in a tough world. He was a man whose actions and decisions, good or bad, affected others. And he was a man surrounded by a culture in conflict. And yet he was responsible to keep his family safe and secure. Literally, Cornelius was in a country with his family in a land where people hated him. They were Romans occupying the land of the Jews. And the Jews couldn't stand them. The Jews wanted them out. There was constant rebellion and sects of Jews called zealots who would rise up to try to bring acts of, uh, of violence to kick the Romans out of their land. And yet Cornelius is a captain in this land, and his family lives in this land, and he's trying in this area, and he's trying to, to win people. Uh, he's trying to find God. 
So Cornelius is just like us. Most of us men, we live in a culture in conflict. Especially if you want to be a Christian nowadays, you live in a culture in conflict. Everybody will tell you, and the media tells you, that you are not the mainstream today if you're a Christian. You're out of touch with society. I want you to know we live in that kind of culture, a culture in conflict. But it's possible to be a godly man even in a culture in conflict. Everybody with me? Okay? Now, notice what it says about Cornelius. Notice, notice what it says. Go back to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse number 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer. I want to come down here. Can I come down here? We're not videoing this service. We do the first service. They make me stay up here during the first service because when I come down in the first service and video, they can't get me. For some reason, we don't have people that's smart enough to drop these cameras down. For some reason. So since so they say, we hear you, but we don't see you. Well, I, you know, I'm like the Holy Ghost. I blow where I listeth, you know. And so, But second service, we don't do that. So I'm going to come down here and get amongst you. Now, look what it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. Now, notice the four things this verses say about him. It says, number one, he was devout. Number two, he feared God. Number three, he was generous. And number four, he prayed regularly. Now let's just take them individually. We started to last week. Let's take them individually. He was devout. The word devout means reverent in attitude and activity. He was reverent. He was reverent in attitude. His attitude was one of reverence. And it it portrayed out, it lived out in his daily living. Cornelius wasn't just reverend on Sunday. His private and public life were not in conflict. In other words, the same way he was on Sunday was the way he was at work on Monday. The same way he talked at church was the same way he talked in the break room on Tuesday at work. The way he was at church was the way he was at home. He was a reverent man, not only in attitude, but also in actions. Let me ask you, men, are you the same way at church as you are at work? Are you, is your public and private life in conflict? And you say, well, yeah, yeah, I am. Well, are we really? I mean, just think about it. How many of you have ever discovered that some of the best family fights happen in the car on the way to church? <laughs> have you learned that? I mean, I remember we was going to church. I'm the preacher, and we're taking the kids to church. We've been doing two services in my ministry for years, and we get the kids up early, and we're heading to church, and they've been fussing and fighting. They're tired, and I'm turned around the back seat. I mean, I'm driving, looking this way and turning this way. What are you doing? Straight up. Don't touch your sister. Don't touch her. Stop crying. Kate, Manda, Manda, tell her to stop crying. 
Tell her to don't take. He breathed on me. Well, stop breathing on your sister. Stop breathing. And all of a sudden, you pull into the church park. I'm like, glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is Lord. And this is the day that the... Shut up. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is our public life and our private life in conflict? Is it in conflict? In some days, it's a challenge to cause it not to be in conflict. Yet Cornelius was a man whose public life and his private life was not in conflict. Cornelius was a captain of the military. That's a tough environment. If you've been in the military, it's not, it's not Bible school. It's a tough environment. And yet he didn't allow his environment, tough environment, to cause him to stop following and and living his heart's desire, which is a heart after God. Cornelius was his own man. He didn't try to fit in the mold of everybody else. His driving force was his heart, not his position or his prestige. He had a desire for God. And that placed him in, you know it placed him in a vulnerable position with his peers. But he didn't allow the fear of man to control his destiny. Being a captain in the toughest military in the world at that time, you know, we can assume that he was the brunt of jokes. You know they made fun of him. He didn't act like they act. He didn't take part in things they took part in. He didn't worship Caesar when they were required to worship Caesar. He didn't take part in all the sexually charged activities that they took part in, which was true of that culture and the people in that military. They, he, he wasn't like them. So we know people made fun of him behind his back. But it didn't hinder him from being devout. It didn't hinder him from being reverent. Cornelius was seeking the recognition of God, not the approval of man. And to be devout and reverent meant Cornelius had boundaries. He had boundaries in his personal life, he had boundaries in his home, and he had boundaries in public. Cornelius had boundaries in his thought life, his words, and his his actions. As a devout man... Cornelius said no to some things the crowd generally accepted. A man who is devout is a man with boundaries. And when the crowd said it's okay to do it, he had some boundaries that he had set up in his life. Let's talk about boundaries for just a second. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm reading from the Living Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9. The Apostle Paul is talking to the Christians at Corinth. And notice what he says. Paul is talking to Christians at Corinth. He says, don't you know, let's begin with verse 10. Don't you know that those things, such things, don't you know that those doing such things have no share in the kingdom of God? Then he identifies who they are. Don't fool yourselves. Those who live immoral lives, who are idol worshipers, who are adulterers or homosexuals, will have no share in his kingdom. Neither will thieves, greedy people, drunkards, or slanderers, or robbers. Look at verse 11. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. There was a time, there was a time when some of you were just like that. He's saying some of you folks used to be robbers, used to be thieves, used to be slanderers, used to be adulterers. That's the way you live. Some of you were homosexual. He said there was a time when some of you were like that. But now, notice what he says, but now your sins are washed away. And look at what it says. You are set apart for God. And He has accepted you because of what the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God have done for you. Now look at verse 12. I can do anything I want to if Christ has not said no. But some of these things aren't good for me. Even if I'm allowed to do them, I refuse to if I think they might get such a grip on me that I can't easily stop when I want to. Now listen, the Apostle Paul tells us that a devout man, listen then, a devout man will create proper boundaries for areas of our life which the Bible doesn't specifically speak to. I hear this all the time. Well, the Bible doesn't say I can't. The Bible doesn't say I can't. It doesn't say anything about that. It doesn't say anything about that. Yeah, that's true. The Bible doesn't say everything. doesn't address every little thing. But that's where a man of integrity will have boundaries in their life. Listen to what Paul said. Verse 12. I can do anything I want to. If Christ has not said no, but some of these things aren't good for me. Even if I'm allowed to do them, I'll refuse to if I think they may get such a grip on me that I can't easily stop when I want to. And let me take it a step further. There's some things that I won't do if I know that the people seeing me do it, those things that thing can get a grip on somebody else. And they can't easily stop, even though they want to. Okay? Let, let, me, let, me, get, let me get real, let me get down here and make somebody mad. I can go to the bar and have a drink. I can. Because the Bible doesn't speak about, it only speaks about drunkenness. But if somebody sees me as a Christian going to the bar and having a drink and they receive that as permission to do it, they might not be able to stop when that thing gets a hold of them. Yeah, I can do it. Yeah, I can do it. Well, that's legalism. No, I didn't. It's called boundaries. It's called a boundary. I can do, Paul said, I can do anything if God hadn't said no. But not everything I do is good for me. Okay? A a, a man who is devout will have proper boundaries for areas of his life which the Bible doesn't specifically speak to. The word boundary here means a point. It's a, a line where two things become different. It's a limit of something. Up until this point, it's one way. After that point, it becomes different. It's a point. It's a line. 
a boundary in our life indicates this is the line, this is the point, up to this point I take ownership of. Beyond this point, beyond this line is not my possession and I have no business going there. I have a boundary in my life. Now men, listen to me. I'm talking to men, okay? Ladies, take a deep breath and relax because I'm talking to men. Paul, listen men, Paul's self-imposed boundaries did not restrict or hinder him from anything which was helpful or beneficial to him. See, I hear this all, well, you're just being legalistic. It has nothing to do with legalism. Paul said, I can do anything I want to. Nobody's making me do this. Nobody's not making me do it. He says, it's my self-imposed boundary. I place a boundary upon myself. Paul's self-imposed boundaries did not restrict or hinder him from anything which was helpful or beneficial to him. Paul said the boundaries in his life, he said the boundaries in his life protected him from things that had the potential to rob his blessings and his future. It's not a matter of prohibiting, it's a matter of protecting. We're talking about a godly man in an ungodly world. Now, if you just want to be like everybody else, well, you can be. Can I go to heaven? Yeah, I guess if you have Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can go to heaven. But we're not talking about just going to heaven. We're talking about being a disciple of Christ, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know this sticker that everybody has on the back of their card? Jesus is Lord. And then they flip you off. I want to say, what kind of Lord do you think he is? See? We're talking about being a disciple, a godly man in an ungodly world. Now, let me ask you men something. Do we as men have definite boundaries in our life? Do you have some boundaries? Do you have boundaries? Do you have some non-negotiables concerning your thoughts, concerning your words, concerning your activities or the influence which we allow in our life? Do we have some definite boundaries where you've said, no, I'm not going there. I'm not crossing that line. I'm not going over there. Do we have a defined point? Do we have a safe line that we refuse to go past? Do we have boundaries? A godly man will have boundaries. He will have defined boundaries. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned about us guys. Often... We will see how close we can nudge up to the line of compromise without stepping over. We'll see how close we can get without messing up. The temptation itself entices our flesh and gets our testosterone going. Come on, man, I'm talking to you now. We have no intentions of committing a sinful or unhealthy act, but we enjoy flirting with the pull of it. Because it makes us feel good. So we get up as close as we can to it. We'll nudge up close to it. Now, we're not going to do nothing. Oh, we're never going to do nothing wrong. But boy, we like to play with it. We like to get up close and feel that tug. That's not a devout man. That's not a devout man. Let's get out and talk about where we live, okay? Let's talk. Can we talk where we live? Uh, you know, let me read a passage of Scripture that no other pastor in this city is going to read today. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. You got your Bible there? You got your parchment, paper? 
You have, Paul said, bring my parchments. Proverbs chapter 7. Have you ever noticed he didn't say, bring my iPad? Uh, He would have if they had them. Proverbs chapter 7. Go over to Proverbs chapter 7. This is written by the wisest man of the Old Testament, Solomon. Remember, Solomon asked, God said, what do you want from me? The Lord appeared to Solomon. And Solomon, he said, and the Lord said, just ask for anything and I'll give it to you. And Solomon says, I want wisdom. And God said, I'm going to give you, you're going to be the wisest man in all the earth because you didn't ask for money. You didn't ask for possessions. You didn't ask for riches. I'm going to give you what you asked for. You've asked for wisdom. But because you didn't ask for these other things, I'm going to give you them also. And he was the richest man in the world at that time. But notice what the wisest man said. He's talking to men. Everybody with me? Proverbs chapter 7. Everybody over there? Verse number 4. I'm reading out the New Living Translation. Love, he's talking to men. Love wisdom like a sister. Make insight. One translation says, make knowledge a beloved member of your family. Let them protect you from an affair with an immoral woman. From listening to the flatter of a promiscuous woman. Verse 6. Now here's, he's, he's given an example of something that he saw, beginning with verse 6. While I was at the window of my house, looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men, and one in particular who lacked common sense. I'm surprised they only saw one that lacked common sense. I see a whole slew of them every week who lack common sense. Verse 8. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path of her house. It was at twilight in the evening as deep darkness fell. The woman approached him, seductively dressed and sly of heart. She was the brash, rebellious type, never content to stay home. Got to watch him women that's always going out. Verse 12, she is often in the streets and markets soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him. And with a brazen look, she said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. You're the one I was looking for. I came out to find you, and here you are. My bed is spread with beautiful blankets with colored sheets of Egyptian linen. I perfumed my bed with myrrh, alloys, and cinnamon. I tell you, the more she talks, the more I think, man, she's, she's putting a pretty good cobbler together there, isn't she? <laughs> Verse 18. Come, let us drink our love until morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses, for my husband is not home He's away on a long trip. He has taken a wallet full of money. Well, it's really a half a wallet because I took most of it before he left. He has taken a wallet full of money with him and won't return until later this month. So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce its heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing that it would cost him his life. Verse 24. 
So listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your heart stray away toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path, for she has been the ruin of many, many men have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. Literally, Solomon is saying, I saw young men get caught up in the web of lust and a prostitute. And the wisest man of the Old Testament shares with men a wise key of life. How to maintain your integrity and keep yourself. How to remain a godly man in an ungodly world. Go back to Proverbs chapter 7. Go back to the first. Verse 4. I want to read it in the Passion Translation. The Passion Translation says it like this. Say to wisdom, I love you. And to understanding, you're my sweetheart. Notice he says, say to wisdom, I love you. And to understanding, you're my sweetheart. May the two of you, wisdom and understanding, protect me, and may we never be apart. For they, wisdom and understanding, will keep you from the adulteress. And her smooth words meant to seduce your heart. Men, hear what I'm about to tell you. It's the most important thing I'm going to say this morning. And I want you to remember this. Solomon says the thing that protects a man... And it helps you to maintain integrity in a sex-charged culture. Is wisdom and understanding, not willpower. Wisdom and understanding, not willpower. Willpower will wilt at the temptation when a man's testosterone is firing on every cylinder. I don't care how much you pray. I don't care how much you love God. I don't care how much you love your wife. Willpower will wilt at a seductive spirit when a man's testosterone and fleshly desires get activated. Paul, I mean, uh, Solomon didn't say... Men, listen to what I'm saying. You just got to have more willpower. He says, you need to have more wisdom and more understanding. Solomon says, wisdom and understanding will keep us from temptation. A devout man, a devout man, a man of reverence, will not purposely nudge up to the temptation. A devout man has boundaries in his life. And then as you read it, as we read it, Solomon paints the picture of how it all unfolded. And then we go to verse 24. Go to verse 24 in the Passion. It says this. So listen to me. Men, listen to me. You better take my words seriously. Control your sexual urges and guard your hearts from lust. Don't let passion get out of hand. And notice this. Don't lock your eyes onto a beautiful woman. Why would you want to get even, even get close to temptation and seduction? To have an, why do you want to nudge up to it? 
See, what we do, we will nudge up as close to the temptation as we can without making a mistake because we love how it incites our flesh. And he says, why do you want to even get close to it? Let me give you another one. Look at the Living Bible. The Living Bible says this. Listen to me, men. And not only listen, but obey. Don't let your desires get out of hand. Don't let yourself, what? Everybody say think. Notice he says, I've got boundaries on my thought life. He says, you've got to have boundaries on your thought life. Don't even think about it. You understand how the anatomy of a stronghold works. First the thought, then the imagination, then the stronghold. First you think about it, then you start picturing yourself doing it, and then you act upon it. It's how a stronghold gets developed in a person's life. Don't let your desires get out of hand. Don't let your theft think about her. Don't go near her. Stay away from where she walks, lest she tempt you and seduce you. He says, don't get as close as you can without falling in. He says, don't do that. Don't even, get clo- don't even go down her road. Don't even go down her road. I never will forget... Um, when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, and every year about this time, uh, I would have to stay away from the campus of Tennessee Tech. Purposely stay away. First year I was at uh, Cookville, I was 25, and they started school that fall, and I went over there for a, to meet a guy who was in charge of Campus Crusade for Christ. And this was in 1980, the mid-80s. And I went over there, and I was walking around the campus, supposed to meet him, and, and just the young ladies, I mean, I, my, my mind started going crazy. I mean, it did. My mind started, beautiful young girls, and they're away from home, and all of a sudden they're wearing things that they probably wouldn't wear to church. And and here I am, a, a young adult male. And then I realized I got to stay away from. I, I won't even go over there. I won't even go on the campus. I won't even drive over there. I drive a, away from because every time I'd get close to the campus, all of a sudden I would have those thoughts of what I'd saw that day I was on campus. Now don't look at me, men, like I'm some. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking to you about truth. I'm talking about being a godly man in an ungodly world. I'm talking about men of God maintaining their integrity and being devout in a sexually charged culture. Now, ladies, let me say something to you. And I know you're thinking, I'm, well, he's going to fuss at us about what I've marked. No, I'm not going to fuss at you about what you... You need to look, you look as beautiful as you can. It's not your fault. Men are dealing with their flesh. They're dealing with their flesh. And here's something, ladies, wives, here's something I want you to know. I want you to hear what I'm saying. You can't get pretty enough. You can't be seductive enough. You can't be in shape enough to ever stop that man's flesh from being pulled another direction. 
Don't let these men, well, if you look like this, if you look like her, fooey, fooey, fooey. You can be the most beautiful woman. We see it all the time. These Hollywood stars, they're married to the most beautiful women in all the world, and they can't remain faithful. You can't be enough. So stop putting that pressure, ladies, on yourself to be enough. Now, that doesn't mean let yourself go. Okay? doesn't mean that at all. Don't take it the wrong way. Well, he said it didn't matter. And do, so I ain't getting out of bed. I ain't going to put no makeup on, you know. Hey, bring me that hamburger and cheeseburger over here. There. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. Don't, don't get crazy here. Isn't that right? Ooh, what a hottie. But listen to me. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to be a blessing to you. Ladies, don't, put, don't let him or anybody else or this culture put a pressure on you. If you look like this, you'd never have, your man would never have to think of anything else. It has nothing to do with your lack. It has to do with lust, the spirit of lust that's in this world, that's promoted by this world, and also a man's flesh. And lust is not driven by beauty. Lust is not driven by beauty. That's the reason you see it. Men who are not faithful to their covenant, men who are not faithful, a lot of times those men are unfaithful with women who are not as beautiful as the woman they have at home. Because lust has nothing to do with beauty or perfection. Lust has only to do with what it does not have. It's a craving for what it does not have. So if, if your man has said, well, I would have been faithful if you looked like her or looked like... Don't believe that. Don't buy into that. That's not true at all. I've seen men. You've seen men. We've seen politicians. We've seen preachers. We've seen movie stars. We've seen lawyers and bankers. We've seen people who are married to drop-dead gorgeous women put their reputation and integrity in jeopardy because they go have prostitute go have sex with a prostitute who has a disease because lust has to do a craving for what it does not have and the bible says listen willpower will not spare you and willpower will not save you you got to get smart You've got to have wisdom and knowledge. You don't, you don't look at it. You don't stare at it. I'm going to tell you, I'm 61. I, and I know they'll say your best days are gone. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm still a bad boy, ain't I, Mom? That's what I'm talking about. Talk to me. I know. I'm not. I But even at 61, if I'm not careful, if I get to staring and let my mind run away from me, I, it'll go in a, a place it doesn't need to go. Listen, have boundaries. Men, do you have some definite boundaries in your life? Do you, boundaries of what influences you? Yesterday, let me just tell you, yesterday I'd... I'd I had uh, had several 
church appointments that flew up on me and and then I came over here early yesterday morning and was studying all day and then had appointments to come on me yesterday afternoon and and after about two o'clock I'd been here from about seven thirty to two thirty yesterday studying praying you know I just I'd done that all day Friday and then yesterday I said I'm tired I'm I, I need a break I need a break I'm tired of reading the Bible I'm tired of praying you mean you get tired of reading yeah I get tired of reading the Bible I get tired of praying. I said, I'm going to go to my favorite restaurant and take a break. And you know where my favorite restaurant is? Shoney's in Lebanon. Shoney's in Lebanon. Yeah, Shoney's in Lebanon. Get the senior discount, $6.99, full breakfast, salad bar. And if you're nice to the waitress, they'll add extra hot fudge when you're a hot fudge cake. Hallelujah to God. I said, I'm going to drive down 231. Nobody knows me over there. I can just eat in the quiet. Don't have to counsel nobody. Don't have to talk to nobody. Don't have to pray for nobody. I just go eat me a breakfast bar at Shoney's and sit there in the quiet. And I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm not going to listen to worship music. I'm going to listen to country. <laughs> so I put Pandora on country. Alan Jackson, George Strait, Tracy Lawrence. And I headed down 231. Before I got to Lebanon, I was already mad. I was, get out of the way, calling people names. What are you doing cutting in front of me? I just left my office praying in tongues, reading my Bible. (laughs) I'd let that spirit get on me. I'd let that spirit get on me. And I realized it when I'd almost got over. I said, this ain't right. What's wrong with me? What's happened to me? I'd let an influence into my life that changed my countenance. I did that. That's why we have to have boundaries in our life. Men, do you have definite boundaries? Do you have boundaries over your thought life? Do you have a line say, I don't go there? Do you have boundaries on what you see? We don't watch that in our home. We don't watch that in our home. Have you ever noticed something about the fear of God? It says it, most people miss it. It says it about Cornelius. It says he feared God and everybody in his household. Do you know the fear of God is contagious? Have you ever noticed when people know you have a fear of God, they'll act different around you? Well, they don't talk like that. They don't act that way. You know why? Because the fear of God is contagious. It'll get on other people as well. But I don't watch there's something things, something things, some channels we don't have on our TV. You say, well, that's legalistic. There's nothing in the Bible about that. No, it's not legalistic. It's to protect me. I'm not saying those channels are wrong. I'm just saying it's there to protect me. It's a boundary that I've put in my life. Do you have boundaries in your thoughts? Do you have boundaries on what you see? Do you have boundaries on what you hear? Do you have boundaries on how you act? I'll close with this. I was so proud of my son-in-law this week. So proud of him. My son-in-law, Devin, I think he did the announcements today. Good-looking kid. Good-looking kid. Sharp kid. Working on getting his MBA at MTSU. He's a graduate of MTSU. He was raised by a single mom. He'll never tell you this. He was raised by a single mom. His mom was a barmaid. And he had an autistic brother. So every night he had to take care of his brother while his mom waited bars. She wouldn't get home after midnight every night. He raised two other brothers by himself. Raised in poverty. And uh, put himself through university, MTSU, bachelor's degree. Joined the military. 
He's a medic in the military and put himself through university, graduated with no school loans, single mom, raised by a single mom. Now he's getting his master's degree in, in, medical, in the medical field, and uh, he's operations manager for a big medical firm here in town, 25 years old. Or he achieved more than I ever achieved. So proud of him. So proud of him. But this week something happened. He said he's, he's big on working out. He works out. You know, he wants to grow up and be like me. Working out. <laughs> Why are y'all laughing? And uh, he went to the gym and he said, I met a girl, Pastor Eddie. I met a girl at the gym. He said, you know, she was working out and I met a girl at the gym. I said, well, wonderful. He said, so she asked if she could be my friend on Facebook. And I said, sure. Sure you can. He said, I thought, that's no big deal. I said, you know, I, I like uh, in my free time, I'll surf Facebook, Instagram, and see what my friends are doing. So she asked to be my friend. He said two days later, she started posting pictures online of her in bikini. He said, when I first saw it, he said, my flesh, and then something on the inside say, no, no, no. He said, Pastor Eddie, I have a boundary in my life. And I immediately unfriended her. And I thought, that's a devout young man. Who would have ever known? Who would have ever known? It's his Facebook. She asked to be his friend. Who would have ever known? Do you know that the majority of unfaithful, unfaithfulness that I deal with in marriages nowadays, it begins through social media. Do you have boundaries on your social media? Stand with me, would you?